0: Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. One year ago this month, a major conflict broke out in Ethiopia between government forces and the TPLF, a rebel force based in the northern Tigray region. Thousands have been killed and millions have been displaced. And getting accurate information in the Western media has been very difficult. Well, here to help me make sense of this conflict is Hermela Aragawi. She is an independent journalist focusing on the conflict in Ethiopia. Hermela, thank you for joining me.
1: Aaron, thank you so much for having me.
0: So the standard narrative we get is that the Ethiopian government launched this war a year ago and is committing genocide um, or ethnic cleansing. Let me read you from The New York Times, uh, recently writing. The Times says, one year ago, in the early hours of November 4th, the prime minister of Ethiopia, Abay launched a military campaign in the northern Tigray region, hoping to vanquish the regional ruling party, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, his most troublesome political foe. Can you respond to that characterization? Is it accurate? Uh, Is it an accurate way of describing how this conflict began?
1: Well, if it was, uh, you know, opposite land, it would be accurate. It's completely flipped. The Ethiopian government did not start this war. TPLF started the war in the late night of November 3rd going into November 4th by attacking a military post and killing soldiers so that uh, has that is something that even the TPLF has recognized, just only justifying it as a preemptory attack because of a buildup of soldiers around that region, uh, from Eritrea and Ethiopia is what they claim. But nonetheless, they pulled the trigger. They killed their own countrymen, soldiers that have lived in that region for decades that are a part of that community that have intermarried, that in peace times help farmers, uh, in, in, and in wartime defend that country in that case, dying for the country. So that is a a, a premise that keeps getting reiterated, particularly by uh, the New York Times, Declan Walsh, and at Times, Mark Simons. And it's just absolutely untrue.
0: Okay, so I'm just trying to imagine what the counter argument to that would be. And they would say that basically Tigray had this election in their region and the Ethiopian government tried to interfere with that election. Is that, what would you say in response to that?
1: So there's this, sense or a sense that a certain side is trying to push that this is a region that just wanted to vote in its own Uh, um, leadership and they're being attacked for having an election. But that assumes that the TPLF is just this underdog rebel group that wants the right to control its region. But in fact, this is a part of an old guard. They ran the country for 30 years, nearly 30 years. They were ousted on the struggle of the people. So when they decide that they will not work with the elected government, the chosen government of Ethiopia, and will instead have their own elections, it is essentially an act of war. So this is a group that was running the country for decades. And this is their way of overturning the government and getting back into power. So it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially a provocation. And that was followed up by a physical provocation of attacking the soldiers. So it's like any state here in the United States deciding, you know what, we're not going to be a part of the system, we're going to have our own elections and do our own thing. And then think, uh, that that's going to fly in, in, in the country. And then going further and going ahead and attacking a military post in Washington, thinking that somehow that, that will get them into power at the top of the uh, country. So that that's essentially what that is.
0: And one major allegation lodged against Ethiopia is that they've been blocking aid trucks from getting into Tigray. Uh, how do you assess that situation?
1: That's also proven to be absolutely false. First of all, this idea that a government, an African government, would intentionally block aid from its people, Tigrayans or Ethiopians, the federal government is responsible for Tigrayans as well, is just one, feeding into a stereotype, and two, it's There's evidence that the opposite is true, that aid was going into Tigray. UN Ethiopia in September said hundreds of trucks had gone into uh, that region in the last, in the previous two months, and that they actually did not return. The Ethiopian government said they suspected they were being as uh, logistics, as war logistics by TPLF. The TPLF, to my surprise, did not deny that those aid trucks had gone in, but instead uh, said that the reason they didn't come back was because the UN did not send them with enough fuel. I looked into those allegations and even reached out to the UN and did some numbers, and it showed that there was plenty of fuel that went in with these humanitarian aid trucks. I mean, we were talking about an international aid agency. They don't just send in people to just run out of fuel on their way back. They send these humanitarian aid trucks, and then they send separately fuel tankers. One fuel tanker can power hundreds of trucks to come back, so that they can go back into the region and send more aid. So the opposite is true. In fact, uh, in fact, you could criticize the Ethiopian government for being a little bit too loose about letting aid in, and then not making sure that that aid came back before they sent more. Um, During those two months, you would see these trucks with some of the logos on it, transporting Tigrayan militias into neighboring regions of Amhar and Afar, where thousands of people were killed fighting on both sides. So not only is it not true that there's a blockade, uh, but it's also true that the humanitarian aid is actually being used by TPLF to kill its own people.
0: So as you said, contrary to the narrative we've gotten that this this conflict kicked off when the TPLF launched an attack on the Ethiopian government, which, you know, as you said, they claim was preemptive. But now they're reportedly, you know, advancing on the capital. Uh, Well, first of all, what do you make of that? I mean, are they close to retaking the capital? And what is their what is their goal in this conflict? Are they trying to take over the country? Because, you know, if it's a defensive war on their part, as they say, it's, it's strange to launch a defensive war where not only are you striking first, but now you're about to, you know, or you're uh, p- p- potentially poised to retake the country's capital.
1: Right. Well, there was something uh, that TPLF spokesperson Gita Reda said recently that I thought was really laughable. He said that they were not moving towards the capital of Addis to take over that country and that there would not be a blood path like, blood like has been suggested. And in fact, they were just moving into the city or they were planning to go into the city to take out Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. So what are you saying when you say that? What are you saying when you say you're not here to take over the country? you just here to take out the leader that the voters uh, the people of that country have voted for. It's like somebody, an insurgency saying, oh, we're not going to the White House to take over the country. We're just going to the White House to take out President Biden. And it's, so when you look at the parallels and, and do not use different measurements for Ethiopia because it's an African country or a developing country, then you'll find the how ludicrous the arguments that are being made are. It seems to me that the TPLF does want to go back into power, if not themselves, a puppet government that that maybe they'll choose from other rebel groups, it's not in their right to decide for 100 million Ethiopians who is going to be their leader. They've had their time. They've had nearly 30 years to show themselves. The people have decided they no longer want them there, that they've suffered enough under their power. And the idea that they would come back is frightening to most people because of what they're doing now when they're not in power. Uh, You can multiply the arrogance and the violence if they were to come into power. And what we do know about how close they are is they've been in Dese, which is about 300 plus kilometers from Addis Ababa. They've been in Kambalucha, which is also about uh, the same distance. The idea that they're close is just a prediction or a, a, a claim that's being made by TPLF and its allies. As a way to get Ethiopians to lose faith in the government that they have chosen to be afraid and accept the idea that maybe this old guard will come back. Um, recently, some another thing that I think is just. Below the U.S. standards, as I know it, there was a press conference in Washington, D.C., where these nine so-called tribalist federalists uh, announced that they were going to violently dismantle the Ethi- elected Ethiopian government, something that I think the U.S. is so above or should be above hosting such an insurgency in its capital. And media actually showed up to legitimize their voices. But as far as we know, those groups do not or those nine people do not really represent anybody in Ethiopia that they were just uh, sort of puppets that were put there by TPLF and its allies as a way of putting on an air that there is a significant resistance to the elected government of Ethiopia.
0: And what about Washington's role in all of this? It looks like they've been backing the TPLF, yet there are other times when it seemed that maybe they're waffling on what to do in Ethiopia. What has been uh, their position on the Ethiopian conflict?
1: Yeah, they, I mean, they've been pretty wishy-washy for a long time. They seem to be pushing the TPLF narrative, and then at times they will criticize the TPLF for moving into neighboring regions of Amhara and Afar. But overall, I think that the failure uh, is on the premise that they're using to criticize the parties in this conflict. They are equating this rebel insurgency to the uh, elected government of Ethiopia. I think that uh, maybe there, there's a Wesley Clark quote that really puts uh, light on this. I think he was talking about Iraq when he uh, said it, this idea that there was a group of hard-nosed folks within the US that really didn't have a, a, a good p- foreign policy and that were running the show. It seems to me that there's a hard nose hardliners within the US government some of whom may had long standing relationships with TPLF because they did run Ethiopia for 30 years and they're trying to implicitly and covertly and there's there's allegations that even that US is providing satellite data to help the TPLF so it, it doesn't serve the U.S. interest, in my opinion, I think, if that region has decided or if that country has decided who they want to vote for to support a group, um, a, a splinter group at that. When you think about TPLF, it's first of all, it's not 7 million Tigrayans. It's a political group that is much smaller than that that claims to defend uh, that ethnic group when, in fact, they're sending their people to fight a war so they can come back into power. That's what they did in 1991. They got into power on the blood of Tigrayans. And then when they, uh, uh, when they were backed by the West to overthrow the communist government then, and then once they got into the helm of power in Ethiopia, they abandoned their people in Tigray. Tigray is very underdeveloped. It's very poor, has a gross record uh, of rape and, and and abuses of women. So it's, there's, it's the, the playbook is. Uh, going back twice, where once again, they say, oh, this is about liberating Tigrayans, when really it's about them getting back into power. And I think it's just a matter of time before the U.S. gives up because the Ethiopian people are standing up and they're going to resist, and they're much bigger in numbers than what the TPLF is.
0: So you yourself are Tigrayan, and as I understand it, you've worked before with TPLF activists on issues related to Ethiopia. I'm curious to hear your trajectory, how your background informs your experience now and whether you faced a, a backlash for speaking out as you are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the beginning, I really bought into the CNNs and the New York Times and the APs. I really thought that they were doing their due diligence to tell that story. But I am a journalist and I've been in the business for 10 years. So over time, I was able to see the inconsistencies. Uh, I was able to see that CNN's Nima El-Bagir was only um, telling the story from the perspective of TPLF officials and activists, this idea that uh, the whole goal of the Ethiopian government is to ethnically cleanse Tigrayans. And when you're talking about a government that's elected by the majority of the people, then you're also posing that allegation on the majority of Ethiopians. It's it's a huge allegation to make when you're not even listening to the majority of Ethiopians who are saying this is not about us hating Tigrayans. We love our people in Tigray just as much as everybody else. We are all Ethiopian. This is about the political group that claims to represent them, that has been oppressing um, uh, the country for a very long time. So once I start to see those inconsistencies, and even within the activism, you'll say you'll hear people say this is about humanitarian issues, but then they will not actually back groups that are trying to get humanitarian aid into that region. Particularly when that region was still being controlled by the federal government, they will deter you from uh, contributing to certain uh, groups and 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 redirect you to contributing to one or two uh, groups groups who are never held accountable for the money that they raise. And so I suspect are uh, raising that money, not for the people, but for the government, uh, the T- rather the TPLF rebels that are fighting the Ethiopian government. So once I saw those inconsistencies, I started to just kind of fall back a little bit and pay more attention in June when the Ethiopian government declared a humanitarian ceasefire and uh, TPLF did not, then I knew this was not what it was about or what what they claimed that it was about when soldiers moved into or militias moved into neighboring regions and none of the activists said anything that that was said that this war should stop, our people are dying, um, then I knew that the whole narrative was flipped. Um, So as a Tigrayan, the general consensus is if you're a Tigrayan, you support this group, you support TPLF. But I would argue the opposite is true. The TPLF is just an elite group of uh, elite political group. Uh, like I said, has went into power in '91 on the blood of Tigrayans, but abandoned them as soon as they got uh onto the helm of power. So if you're really about Tigrayans, then you would call you would call for the leadership to put down their arms so that the people of Tigray do not have to once again die for this political group to come back into power. I mean, that I to ask Tigrayans to to support tplf in hopes the second time around after 30 years of not investing in them maybe the second time around that they'll invest in them is just a ludicrous um expectation
0: so you mentioned Nima l bagir of cnn and i have to say this is how this this topic particularly um came to be on my radar because i uh I used to work at Democracy Now for for a decade, and to me, Democracy Now has long been the premier independent progressive show um, historically. And they featured Nima Albagir of CNN a few times now for her coverage of Ethiopia. And I really started to take notice recently. It was in October, I think, when for the first time that I can remember, they didn't just interview a you know a, a, a guest from CNN, which is whatever. I mean, that's that's okay, but they aired. Nima Albagir's reports like in full, which to me was just like that caught my, caught my eye because democracy Now I was supposed to be like the antidote to CNN. And here they were like credulously airing this report in full. And it was like, you know, containing serious allegations, basically accusing Ethiopia of genocide. And I happened to notice at the time, the US government was taking the side uh, against Ethiopia. And so that just, I just... When you have CNN saying something about a government, an African country or a global South country that's targeted by the U.S., and then you have like one of the top progressive news shows airing that, I just I just couldn't believe that. And so I want to get you to respond to a few clips of Nima el Bagger on CNN. At first, her, her report where she claims that there is evidence of the Ethiopian Airlines smuggling weapons to uh, government forces. Nema, welcome back to Democracy Now! This is um, explosive, uh, about the explosives that the Ethiopian government was transporting. Can you lay out the, the significance of this um, and also then the response of the Ethiopian government?
2: Well, it goes to the heart of the narrative that Ethiopia and Eritrea have been positing right from the beginning of this conflict, that the Tigray People's Liberation Front attacked Ethiopia in their northern command, which they did. But the, the TPLF have always said they attacked Ethiopia because there was a joint Ethiopian-Eritrean plan to attack them, to to finish them, uh, as was put at the time. Now, Ethiopian Eritrea have always denied that. They say November 4th. They were blindsided. They needed to launch this law enforcement operation. November 14th, the TPLF rocketed Asmara, and that was when the two former enemies turned allies came together. What we found, it untangles, it it dissolves all of that narrative, because we found, right from the first week of November, that these flights were going back and forth Gun running between the two allies. So even before the TPLF hit Asmara, they were already planning on on attacking Tigray and Eritrea needed this weaponry to be able to come down from the north into Tigray this narrative that somehow the Ethiopian government was caught um, unawares begins to crumble. Then you also have the reality of how Ethiopian Airlines has built itself up into the name that it is today, which is through its relationship, through its decades-long alliance with the U.S. and with American aviation giant Boeing. So, it is taxpayer, U.S.-funded, Favorable access to U.S. markets worth hundreds of millions of dollars that has built that fleet that is now being used as an apparatus of war and to conduct to bring weaponry into a region where, by the U.S. government's own findings, ethnic cleansing is happening as we speak. Amy,
0: that is Nima Albagir speaking on Democracy Now. And then, amazingly, that same day, I noticed that Nima Albagir of CNN was promoting that segment and her report about the Ethiopian Airlines, because the U.S. was announcing that they were going to look into that to weigh possible sanctions on Ethiopia. So basically, you know, not only is democracy now airing the CNN journalist reporting in full, but is airing something that is now being used to promote sanctions against a, you know, global South country. And that just, it blew my mind. So I'm curious to hear your response to what she said there.
1: So first, a a couple of things. Ethiopian Airlines is one of the oldest institutions in Ethiopia. It is a successful institution. It is the pride of the country. It is the pride of Africa. It is an African hub. It is one of the best run institutions, right? So that's the first thing. So to talk about this entity like it's gun running, like it's a criminal entity, first of all, is just completely inaccurate. Even when we saw an Ethiopian Airlines flight go down in 2019, the conclusions Found that it wasn't an error on Ethiopian Airlines. It was actually a a malfunction of Boeing devices. Right, so that's how good this institution is. It's been uh, it's it's been well run. And so the idea, the second point, is that she makes it sound like it's a crime that this fleet, a federal institution, is being used to transport weapons. There was a, um, an expert that also went on a, actually a different CNN show, someone who had worked with the U.S. Uh, for a long time, transportation services, I believe, who said any country in times of emergency has the right to use its fleet For different purposes than passengers, right? So they didn't do anything wrong. One, uh, they have the right to do it even if they did what she said that they did. Um, And then two, the other point, or I guess is three, right? The the other point about her talking about this being a tax or a, a U.S. taxpayer, I mean, she's discrediting The institution, the reason it's successful is because of the hard work of Ethiopians and allies. So it's this idea that this African institution is a criminal, it doesn't know what it's doing, whatever success it has, it's because of the U.S. support. So it's completely wrong. And she has no actual um, uh, evidence that stands the, 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 the resistance in terms of the genocide. I mean, if only I saw her also reporting about TPLF militias going into neighbor regions and killing people, then maybe just maybe I would believe some of her reports. But I think I speak for the majority of Ethiopian people when I say Nima El Bagir's reporting has been completely inaccurate, and it seems to be trying to work against Ethiopia as a whole.
0: Yeah, there was a an article in the Financial Times recently called How Ethiopian Airlines Provided a Vaccine Lifeline. And it's about how Ethiopian Airlines was used to ship COVID-19 vaccines all around the world and it's just anytime you see allegations that can be used to justify sanctions on, you know, civilian institutions like an airline, I think that that raises questions. So, but you think it's possible though that it was being used to smuggle weapons?
1: It's possible. I mean, Ethiopian Airlines refuted it, right? So I, I'm just going to go ahead and go with what they said for the moment since uh, the rest of uh, Nema's report seems completely salacious, but it is possible. The point is they have the right to do it, right? So it's really none of our business or it's none of the business of the West or anybody else while Ethiopians undergoing this insurgency. what? They use their fleets for it. It's within their right. Um, and the idea that the U.S. or a reporter from the U.S. or uh, for CNN can come in and chastise them and make them feel like criminals for doing it is just completely misguided.
0: All right. So in the same Democracy Now! appearance, Nima Albagir also basically said that Ethiopia is guilty of committing genocide. That report, just astounding and important. I wanted to end by asking you about the role of social media in the—would you call it genocide in Ethiopia and Tigray, Um, both Twitter, Facebook?
2: Well, genocide is a, a legal ruling, so we can't make that ruling, but we can and do believe it has all the hallmarks of genocide. Uh, it, there's no doubt that social media, especially Facebook, has played a huge role in this.
0: So that's Nima L. Bagger on Democracy Now! Hermela, your response?
1: So the idea of genocide has been invoked since the very beginning of this war. As soon as TPLF attacked a military post, uh, a, a country's military post and killed soldiers, they immediately said, this government is waging a genocidal war against us. So a way to uh, to relate it to the Western audience, we saw an insurgency that was not even half as bad as we saw with the TPLF, but we did see an insurgency where uh, people were killed at the Capitol, in the US Capitol, and so if that had happened and the U.S. government fought that insurgency back and every time an insurgent died, they say this is a genocide of insurgents, we'd all laugh and say, what? That's, I mean, that's ludicrous. That is a narrative that people like Nima el are asking us to believe. Ethiopians have lived alongside other uh, ethnicities. There's 83 languages in the country. Diversity is just par for the course there. And it's, about the leadership. That's what Ethiopians have said. So if you're going to claim genocide on one end, you've got to listen to other Ethiopians who say, that's not our point. The point is not to wipe out Tigrayans. We're married to Tigrayans. We're intermarried. My kid is you know, half Tigrayan. Um, and so it's its such a huge claim to make without talking to the majority of Ethiopians. And it's its a claim that is being fed by a, a an elite, et- not even all ethnic uh, Tigrayans, but an elite group TPLF that, that that is largely ethnic Tigrayans that that is doing it to get back into power. So you got to look at who's making the claim: is it the underdog, or is it that entity that's been around for 30 years and has an international apparatus, including clearly some Western media friends, that's able to tell that story? So it's it's the, a recent UN uh, human rights report, joint investigation with the Ethiopian Human Rights Commission, found said nothing of that. Uh, They said they couldn't get They didn't have enough information to even confirm that citizens or uh, civilians, rather, were denied humanitarian aid, that starvation was used as a weapon. Uh, What that report did show is what we would all expect in a war, that all parties to the conflict committed atrocities. That is what the majority of people are saying. This is a war. This is not an asymmetrical genocide. The government is waging on uh, ethnic tigrans. This is about taking out this really power thirsty, just can't get enough, 30 years just was not enough group that is using their people once again to get back into power.
0: It reminds me of the Syrian dirty war where, you know, certainly the Syrian government and its allies killed people. There's a lot of destruction. I saw it firsthand when I went there a few months ago, just rubble everywhere. But that the point is, atrocities happen during war. In the case of Syria, they were Resisting a foreign-backed Contra army, basically trying to take over their country, uh, which had anti-tank weapons and and other heavy weapons and dug extensive tunnels. So the, that's the point: is that horrible things happen in war, and if you don't want war crimes, don't contribute to the war. Don't um, you know? Don't don't fuel a war. And um, on that front, so what do you make of these reports that the TPL rebels are now on the outskirts of? Addis Ababa. There was a recently a big protest there uh, amongst the city's residents uh, and, and reports of the government asking people to volunteer to uh, fight. What what do you think um, is going to happen there?
1: Um, You know, I'm not in the uh, practice of predicting, but what I'll say is outskirts is very subjective. I mean, the CNN report that used that word used a photo from five months ago that made it look like these soldiers behind trees were literally right outside of Addis. I mean, Dessay and Convoluts are about 350 kilometers from the capital, so it just goes back to this sort of psychological insurgency on top of the physical one that 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 is trying to make Ethiopians, Ethiopians in the capital, think that their government is about to get taken out, and almost to try to get them to accept the idea that this group is going to come back. So, I don't think that they're as close as they say they are. That's that's kind of their whole game. Um, they 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 uh, they play up their wins, they downplay their losses, as a lot of. Uh, you know, entities do when it comes to war. But what I can tell you is the majority of Ethiopians, as you saw, uh, came out in a huge numbers, not just in Addis, but other major cities in the country saying we, we cannot take this, no more of this regime. We've had 30 years. It's enough. No more of false narratives on the international stage that is making the victims the culprits and the culprits the victims. Uh, no more U.S. intervention that talks diplomatically, but really is supporting uh, covertly and uh, in some ways, you know, it, it, outwardly um, ex- more explicitly this insurgencies and, and the, the whole display in the Capitol and the, the, the condoning of that, even if the State Department did not plan that, they condoned that to happen on their own capital. This pillar of democracy allowed this group to out loud say that they were going to violently overthrow the federal government of Ethiopia that was elected by the majority of 100 million people.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that No More campaign on social media. Uh, what has been the response to that? Do you think it's been successful in conveying a uh, a counter narrative to the uh, dominant narrative that we've gotten about what's going on in Ethiopia?
1: I do. I think, you know, I think we have a long way to go, but I do think that the campaign and people's participation in it and people's embracing of it um, has poked through that kind of firewall that has been around for the majority of that year, where majority of Ethiopians and Eritreans are talking in this echo chamber and trying to explain to the international media what this really is, uh, while the, a lot of the international media is saying something different. And so when uh, myself and a couple of others came together to think of a campaign for November to honor um, uh, the anniversary of the war... Uh, It it, it sort of naturally um, developed and eventually we came up with the hashtag no more because it it, kind of spoke to how fed up people are of hearing uh, their stories completely turned uh, upside down and so it People have really embraced it. The silent majority is is speaking out. We're seeing a lot of different social media pages now coming up. You'll see if you go on to Instagram and even Twitter, you'll see people with their green, yellow and red. I think finally the people that have been staying silent and just suffering in that silence feel like, okay, you know what? I actually do have the right to say something. I don't have to take it sitting down or taking, you know, lying down like they're getting up in D.C. There was a huge protest there. It was a three day uh, protest. Preparation and the the crowd was honestly unbelievable for that short turnaround.
0: One criticism I've heard of, of your side, and again, I, I'm not sure the factual basis for it because I'm just getting acquainted with this topic. But they say, look, the prime minister of Ethiopia, Abiy Ahmed, actually, how do I pronounce it?
1: Yeah, Abiy Ahmed. Okay, Abiy
0: Ahmed. They say that he's a neoliberal. He's a he's been a Washington ally. The Ethiopian government's been a Washington ally for a long time. What do you, what do you respond? How do you respond to that?
1: So that Ethiopian government that people are speaking to is TPLF. It's not the current government. So the the TPLF-run government was an ally of the U.S. for nearly 30 years. This one is being treated like they're an enemy when they really should be embraced as an ally. You need a democratically elected government in the horn to be able to stabilize that region, to be able to have peace so that whatever the U.S. may want in terms of advantages, in terms of collaboration, they can only get it if there's peace. So it's very, very misguided uh, to even suggest that it's it's, they they go back and forth. You know, they really contradict themselves. At times, the government is anti-Washington. And then in that criticism, the government is 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 an ally of Washington. So the premise in and of itself is very misguided.
0: All right. So as we wrap um, anything more that you want to uh, tell us about this conflict, what people should know? Again, people like me are just hearing about this in depth for the first time. So as we close, anything more you want to say about uh, what people should know about the conflicts and, and where they can go to get more information about it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you for giving me the platform to share this. That's a lot of what we're fighting for is just the space to tell a different narrative. And without- Well, listen, on that
0: front, let me just thank my friend, Rania Kalik, who I basically stole this idea from. She had you on, did a great interview, and I said, I got to do the same thing. So she gets full credit for this segment. And she has a great podcast amazing. called Dispatches. Yeah, Dispatch, that so.
1: was a- That was basically a therapeutic session with her just to be (laughs) able to to get all of that out, Um, you know, without needing to understand the ins and outs. And, you know, it can get really complicated to try to study a new country. The bottom line is the majority of Ethiopian people have voted this prime minister in, like it or not. It's not to say that they they love him and they blindly support him, but they'd rather give this guy a chance. He's only been around for less than three years. They'd rather give him a chance than go back to the thing that they know, the, the, the evil for some people that they know. An entity that came into power with uh, that was Western back to overthrow the communist government in 91 and held power through oppression and rigged ele- elections for 30 years. So without even needing to know what the ethnic and all of that stuff uh, uh, about that. Uh, people should just know that Ethiopia, uh, maybe because it's a developing African country, is being measured by a stick that the US itself would not like to be measured by. So if you support democracy, you me. Nobody that doesn't live in Ethiopia needs to decide for the Ethiopian people who their leader is. It's That's that's the idea that we're fighting against. Africans should have a voice. Their vote should be respected. It does not matter if the rest of us here in the West or the Western government thinks, no, we, we think this other thing will be a better leader for you. I know so many countries across the world are dealing with that same thing. It's time for people's votes to be respected, regardless of how poor a nation is, how much they're developing or what Whatever the case, let people decide for themselves. And if they decide that government isn't for them, then down the line, they'll choose that. These are thinking people. The majority of Ethiopians, I'm not an exception to the rule. You know, they, a lot of them are educated. A lot of them have been fighting for human rights for a long time. A lot of them know what they've experienced, whether they're educated or not. They know what they are experienced uh, in the last 30 years, and they want something better. And the rest of the world just has to respect that.
0: It's amazing how much US chauvinism is ingrained in not just, you know, our political leaders, but in the media too, the way other countries are covered. And, you know, as you say, I mean, the things we try to impose on other countries are things we'd never accept anyone else doing to us here. I mean, just look at the freak out over January sixth, a three hour riot in the Capitol elicited this, you know, meltdown from, you know, half the country. Right. Um right. And, and and meanwhile, um, all sorts of atrocities that we can't imagine that we're imposing elsewhere or we're helping to impose elsewhere uh, are things that we're somehow supposed to accept. And, and um, um, it's hardening to see people stand up to it and and to bring education to a place like, to, uh, to the US public on a, con- on a subject like Ethiopia, which just, you know, most people just don't know about. So, Hermele, I really appreciate your time and your insight.
1: Aaron, thank you so much for having me.